What is up, guys? Welcome to Close Monday. My name is Kyle and Sarah, and this is the show for restaurant owners, for chefs, for culinary students, for startup restaurants, anyone brave enough to take on the challenge of running a restaurant and the pursuit of being what we like to call a restaurant entrepreneur. This is your absolute lifeline, your go-to for real-world, no-nonsense, in-depth chats and war stories from people who have been in your shoes. Now, you're all on the same quest here, looking for that perfect solution, that perfect piece of technology that's gonna streamline your operations, the killer marketing strategy, the new social media platform that's gonna put your restaurant on the map, the rock-solid suppliers who've always got your back. But let's not be naive, there's a lot more to this. Most importantly, things like capital raising, making sense of insurance, and playing real estate like a professional, that's all part of the package. And one of my favorite parts, by the way. But what you need to understand is that each one of these challenges, they're really just opportunities. And as industry veterans, myself, my guests, we're gonna bring battle-hardened knowledge and cutting-edge insights to the table every single week. We've been in it. We've had our neck on the line. We've lost money, we've made money. We've had staff, we've lost staff. We know how it impacts our personal lives. We're gonna help you navigate this entire business. Our goal, sole goal, is to give you the information to reach your goals while you stay true to what's most important to you. And what I know, what's important to you are things like quality, hospitality, innovation, sustainability, staying ahead of the curve, staying up with trends, and of course, providing an unforgettable guest experience. So whether you're a seasoned professional, you're a restaurant entrepreneur, or you're a rookie about to jump into your first business, grab a seat, pour yourself a drink, a cup of coffee, put your AirPods on, grab the dog, go for a walk, hit the treadmill, sit on the couch, whatever you're going to do, we're going to drop some serious knowledge on you. And it starts right now. Welcome to Close Monday. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Close Monday. And it is Friday, August 4th. I'm your host, Kyle and Sarah. And hopefully with our new intro, you like that? We got a new intro kind of explaining the direction of the show, what we're looking to build. I've always lacked on that. And I haven't had the truthfully, you know, I don't know, haven't had the energy behind it. Now I've been working with some people on how we can make this show more effective, help build that community. And uh, those of you guys have been listening for a long time realize that it has not gotten off the ground to the extent that I'd like it to get off the ground. So that is our focus. And um, we're going to now introduce a new format of the show, and hopefully you guys dig it. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, just kind of messing around here, you know, kind of trying to make it work. And I think that's part of the chef restaurant owner in me is there's always a way to make it work, right? Something goes wrong, you can make it work. Um, but I want to get into some of the headlines this week because I found a bunch of them super interesting and I don't want to call myself a psychic or anything like that, or just kind of somebody who saw it coming, but we're going to get into today how Mr. Beast is suing virtual dining concepts, looking to kill his virtual brand, which I think is incredible. We got the top 10 U.S. restaurants with the fastest growing sales. We're also going to talk about this In-N-Out burger, quote unquote, In-N-Out burger that's opening up in Mexico, that is open in Mexico. Didn't even attempt to hide it, which is interesting. Chick-fil-A is opening a massive 75-car drive-thru, hopefully to fix their drive-thru issues. 
and we got a bunch of other topics to talk about. So without further ado, we're just going to get into it. So Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast. Now look, I, well, let me read the headlines first in case you guys missed it. Uh, Mr. Beast, famous YouTuber, uh, is claiming that virtual dining, virtual dining, maybe more accurate name, virtual dining concepts, rapid expansion of Mr. Beast Burger has resulted in poor customer experiences and food quality. But of course, virtual dining concepts come back saying that ain't true. Now, I'm not going to rely on my memory here, but I believe that Jimmy Donaldson, AKA Mr. Beast was bragging about how many restaurants he opened quote unquote restaurants. And I don't remember if it was on this show or on another podcast. I spoke about how on earth can any food business expect to expand that rapidly and have any degree of success. Now for me, I never once ordered from Mr. Beast because the sign for Mr. Beast Burger was on a list outside of what's essentially a convenience store, not far from my house, of about 10 other virtual dining concepts, handwritten on like a piece of cardboard, Mr. Beast and like all these other concepts. It doesn't take much to look at those signs and say, whoever made that sign doesn't care. And I don't know about you, but it, that to me, was like, no, thank you. So now I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard, hey, actually, yeah, it's pretty good. But from an operator perspective, I don't know how hands-on Jimmy was with the product. Um, seemed like, you know, there was no way to make this work. No way to make it work. So I don't know what the, what the paperwork looks like, but he's claiming that they expanded too fast. I doubt he was having any issue with it when he saw the money coming in. Mr. Donaldson recently attempted to negotiate a new deal to serve his own monetary interests. When VDC refused to accede to his bullying tactics to give up more of the brand to him, he filed his ill-advised and meritless lawsuit seeking to undermine the Mr. Beast Burger brand and terminate his existing contractual obligations with the cause. Look, Jimmy, you got a massive, massive little empire there, right? You just offered a billion dollars for it. You turned it down. He turned down a billion dollars for it. Get out of the restaurant business however you can. However you can. Virtual dining concepts is not working. I personally think these virtual brands are not scalable at all. Period. Don't know where they're going to work. Don't think there's a real future for them. I think they were a flash in the pan idea, not very well thought out, clearly overexpanded, which is something we'll get into later. But um looks like Jimmy's gonna have some decisions to make. Alright. What do we got next? Let's talk about oh man. DoorDash. Great idea. DoorDash is bringing Apple CarPlay to its delivery app. So that means DoorDash drivers Restaurant owners, you guys deal with these guys all the time. So this is relevant to you. This is relevant to you because you want to know, you know, which one of these companies is going to be most effective. And now 
the drivers with iPhones and CarPlay will soon be able to access parts of the delivery app through their car dashboard with what the company says is a more streamlined experience. So ultimately, I think the goal here is to make the drivers more effective and to, I mean, let's be honest, we're not supposed to be looking at our phones when we're driving. So if they can put that up on the dash in the cars, um, right now showing navigation only, but what I think the plan is here, yeah, exactly. So Uber uses CarPlay to display heat maps where surge pricing is in effect and allows drivers to accept or decline trips on the large screen. DoorDash right now is only showing navigation, but the functionalities are coming soon. So Uber's ahead of the game. DoorDash is getting on board. I ultimately think this is a super, super smart idea, and I think it shows how this industry is still evolving. We're not, we're nowhere near where this is all going to ultimately wind up. And um, shout out to those guys. All right, what do we got next? All right, the top ten fastest growing restaurants and their estimated sales per unit. Let's let's take a look at this. So, if you're watching on YouTube, you can tell I'm checking out the side. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, when I see these lists, I am just typically shocked at the brands that are on here and the numbers that they do. Um, first up on this list, Texas de Brazil. Never been. Churrascaria, churrascaria? that's the word. Number 10, 2002 U.S. estimated sales per unit, 4.7 million. That's an 18.7% year-over-year change. That is wild. Never been. Never even heard of this place. Maybe I have. McCormick and Schmicks. 2002 U.S. estimated sales per unit, $4.1 million, up 18.7% year-over-year. Ocean Prime. 2002 U.S. estimated sales per unit. Probably don't have to say that every time I read these. $12.1 million up 22% year over year. Potbelly. Wow. Not impressive. 1.2 million sales per unit. Up 22%. That is impressive. Sweetgreen. 3.1 million sales per unit. Up almost 24%, 23.9% year over year. Now, I don't even know this concept. Admittedly, never heard of it, but they're doing $3.9 million a year. Polly Pies. Up 24% year over year. Dave's Hot Chicken, absolute monster of a concept, taking over everywhere, super cool branding. They've got it you know, in a very crowded space. Dave's Hot Chicken has not dialed in. 5.6 million, up 34%, y'all. 34% year over year. Dave & Buster's, can't believe they're still around. 4.7 million, up 51%. Look, as I read these, my, my, my mind right now is saying, you guys need to look into how they did this stuff, period. What did they do? And see if you can reverse engineer and apply it to your business. Maybe that's another episode. Maggiano's Little Italy, 8.1 million. Get this, up 51.5% year over year. It's wild. Eddie V's. Seafood Shack. What is it? That Seafood Shack? What is it? Fine Seafood? Eddie V's, 9.2 million, up 51% year over year. Guys, how are they doing this? How are they doing this? How are these guys coming into those types of numbers with, let's face it, 
not the best food. We always talk about the food is not always the main driver here. What are they doing operationally to drive more revenue? What are they doing operationally to drive more income, more profit? Again, something that we should all look into, and I'll probably have an episode about that soon. All right. Chick-fil-A is opening a massive 75-car drive-thru in 2024. If you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, if you've ever sat on that drive-thru line, you know what a pain it is. But I, I think this model here is already being implemented by Taco Bell. Makes a lot of sense. Um, but this is, my God. They have the longest drive through lines of any fast food restaurant in America. And unless you have eight and a half minutes to wait in line, it looks like foodies will need to hit up the Taco Bell down the street, which I guess is already doing this, like I said. Um, but they are bumper to bumper for a quarter of a mile. I mean, that is completely insane. So file this under figuring out what's not working and figuring out how you can make it work, period. So a recent QSR study ranked Chick-fil-A 10th out of 10 for speed. They're looking to fix that. I guess their revenue, which is in the, uh, it's astronomical. I don't remember what it is. Maybe it's in here somewhere. We'll find it. But um, they're behind McDonald's, Taco Bell, Wendy's, Dunkin', KFC, and more. And Chick-fil-A averaged 509.1 seconds per order compared to KFC in first place with 302.6 seconds per order. Uh, not sure why we have to put that into seconds, but uh, that's a long time. So um, it was named Chick-fil-A's, uh, Chick-fil-A was named Gen Z's all-time favorite restaurant. And ultimately, these their, their drive-through lines, though, are becoming um, a downfall. But they are not going to let that stop them from dominating the space, I guarantee it. That's what these guys do. They do not, you know, ultimately... They're going to figure out what's going wrong, what's the competition doing that we're not doing, and how can we really make it better because we got the cash to do it. But again, you guys might not have all the cash to do it, but you can do something uh, on your own scale for sure. Now, let's get into, if you guys saw my TikTok the other day, I was in a former one of these restaurants the other day, and it's kind of funny because I used to love this place. Uh, Boston market sued by U.S. Foods for $11 million in unpaid bills. How does that happen? Now, obviously, it's not one location, I'm guessing. But U.S. Foods filed a lawsuit against Boston Market Monday, alleging the chain owes over $11.6 million in unpaid bills. Whew. And the Colorado Department of Revenue seized the company headquarters and changed the locks to recoup $328,000. $592 in unpaid sales and payroll taxes, and U.S. Foods will now join a list of vendors, landlords, and employees suing the chain over unpaid bills within the last few months. I mean, this was dominant brand, right? Then they kind of went downhill, popped back up. Um, they were purchased in 2020 by Engage Brands, and I know that was during the pandemic, and I was part of a team that um, was trying to help find them locations in the market. Uh, they were trying to reinvent the brand, um, but it was still struggling. And as we're trying to expand, it says here they closed 45 locations. They had over 1,100 units in the 90s. That shrunk down to 300. And now, unfortunately, looks like they're declaring bankruptcy and will be out. Um, on my TikTok yesterday, I was in a former Boston market, and 
the story was that these guys got the space because Boston Market signed a lease. They signed the lease, went in, brought in all this old Boston Market signage and equipment. It's all in there, all in the space. And then they never, never paid anything. Said so they wanted to terminate the lease, worked out a thing with the landlord. So sounds messy. Um, seeing what I saw yesterday, this article is not super surprising. But um, yeah, that's it for Boston Market. Unfortunately, that cornbread was killer. Rotisserie was good too. I mean, let's face it. Um, they came at a time I was like, what? You can get this kind of food in like a quick style? Um, but I guess those days are over. All right. Let's take a break. Thank our sponsors. Hands down, the most embarrassing mistake I made as a restaurant owner was hiring the wrong accountant and trusting that he was doing the right thing. Now, the main thing that he was in charge of was sales tax. And long story short, didn't get paid, didn't get paid on time, didn't get paid in full. And our little 40 seat restaurant wound up owing the state of New York $180,000 in sales tax. But that was before Davo. Davo automates your sales tax. It integrates with your POS. So it automatically sets aside the sales tax funds daily. Then when it comes time to remit these funds to the state, Davo files and pays the sales tax for you on time and in full. You know, it's easier. Take a little bit out every day as opposed to this big chunk due at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter. It would have changed my business, would have changed really my life. Because let's face it, when you're running a restaurant, those bills that are due, they keep you awake at night. Not with Davo. It's all taken care of. So it integrates with your POS. So whether you have Toast, Square, Clover, Lightspeed, uh, SkyTab, uh, whatever you have, Revel, they integrate with them and they're adding new partners every day. So you never have to worry about sales tax again. In the show notes, there's a link where you can schedule a call with the customer success team. Let them know that you heard about Davo on the Close Monday podcast and they'll hook you up. Never worry about sales tax ever again. Keep your eye on what matters, which is running your business day in, day out and let Davo take care of the sales tax. All right, we're back. And we've talked about a lot of different things in terms of your business, how to succeed. What are some things you can put in place that are gonna put you in the best position to make more money, be more efficient, all that fun stuff. But let's let's kind of take it up another notch for some of you experienced operators who maybe are out there or some of you guys who are maybe uh, have one unit and you're looking to kind of, you know, you have that vision of how you want your business to end. These are 10 ways that you're going to absolutely fail in the business. Now, sounds horrible, especially considering the entire intent of this podcast, but it's a little, you know, you got to try to get a little, get a little tension with this headline. But I think you'll agree that as an operator, a lot of these things are front and center on your table every single day. And they're some of the biggest challenges that you face in your business. So let's see if we can navigate around them. Uh, number one, we talked about it, Mr. Beast just now, even though does not the word restaurant, virtual restaurant, whatever, doesn't uh, really apply to him, but overexpansion. The biggest mistake that you can make is as a growing concept is to think that more units 
equates to more money in your pocket. It equates to one thing. It equates to more work. Period. Right? Starting from lease execution to the day you open to the 10 years that you're under obligation for that lease, whatever. The reality is you are the one that is responsible for running that business day in, day out, and attempting to grow too fast at an early stage could put other units at risk and will kill your business, period. If you start to kill the, the first unit that got you to even thinking that you should open up another store, it's going to be problematic. So overexpanding can dilute your brand. It can overextend your resources, your capital, your people, uh, your marketing department, all, all that stuff. And it's going to lead to failures in hospitality, steps of service, and ultimately a de decrease in the guest experience, which is what no one wants. So do not, I say all the time to operators, do not rush the process. You'll know when it's time to open up a second location. Number two, failure to delegate and trust your team. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. When I had my first restaurant, my partner was pretty adamant about not allowing anybody else to make the pizza dough. Respect, right? There's a lot of respect in that. I respected the chef for it because it's a laborious process. I mean, we're not talking about making one little ball of pizza dough, right? We're talking about a 50 quart mixer, a whole bag of flour, dumping that thing on the table, you know, rolling in the balls, letting it rise, seeing what, you know, rotating the, the racks. It's all, it's a real big process, but he didn't want anybody else doing it. How the hell are we going to scale this concept if you're the only one that makes the dough? Can't, you can't do it. Micromanaging and not allowing your team to take ownership over a lot of these processes in your restaurant is going to be your downfall. Now, you may have all the know-how, you may have all the recipes, you may have all the operational experience, but you're the coach. You're 50,000 feet, a lot of you guys, right? Some of you are, you know, respect. You're chef, owner, operators, which is a grind, which is what we were. But if you want to be a restaurant entrepreneur, right, you want to own multiple units and run these things and make fucking money, then you're going to have to learn how to delegate. Micromanaging is just going to be the death of you. It's going to be the death of your personal relationships. It's going to be the death of your mental health. It's going to lead you down a real bad path and no one's going to like you. They're not, they're just not going to like you. And it's unfortunate that it comes to that, but that's what it is. And you're in the business of hospitality. So the way that you act leading from the top, go down, it's going to affect a lot of different things. Number three, ignoring data and metrics. So you guys need to know what your key performance indicators are. So when you know what your sales need to be, what your payroll is, your cost of goods, uh, your inventory numbers, things like that, you need to take those insights and start to understand what they mean for your business and leverage that information to make better decisions. Because without this corny shit of like, you know, dimes lead, you know, pennies lead to dimes, dimes make pennies, all that stuff. You guys get that. I know you get it. But now there's so much technology 
time of day? How much staffing do you have on? Is it the busiest time of day? Is today a slow day compared to last Tuesday? Or is it slow every Tuesday? You know, is there an uptick on certain hours? Should you implement some dynamic pricing? Should you have a brunch menu on Saturday and Sunday? Can your stat, you guys have the information at your fingertips. And if you don't, then you're not running a restaurant in 2023, figure it out. We're going to have a lot more about that. We have a lot of tech partners on this show. Um, Davos one, Marquis is one that can help you with that type of stuff, getting those metrics, communicating with, with your guests. Um, this is what you need to do. You need to understand what those numbers mean and how they are affecting your business. Telling me you did $30,000 last week doesn't tell me shit. How much did you spend on your cost of goods? What was your payroll? Um, how many people did you do? What's your check average? Those kind of things are what's important. Number four, I think it's number four. <laughs> I'm losing track here. I get caught up in all these things, but we've spoken about this before. Again, I'm starting to like, I can't remember if it's a TikTok and Instagram or a podcast, but culture. Man, if you fail to create a positive, nurturing workplace, you're going to have insanely high turnover if you even have people in your restaurant where it's where we're at now. They have to want to fucking come to work, man. If you don't get that by now, take a look at yourself in the mirror and realize you may be the problem. You might be the problem, but I can tell you this, even if they're there, just because they got screw it, you know, it's a job, whatever, that morale in there is so low, you may not see it because for whatever reason, you're blinded by it or you're too, you know, you're too head down in the business that your guests are not getting the best service because you just can't. If your staff is in a shitty mood, if they feel like they're being disrespected, it goes down to the guests, it affects your bottom line and sooner or later, you'll be out of business. Number five, you're not innovating. Dude, this is the time to drop a dude on you guys. This is the time to try to be more innovative. Find new ways to run your business. Find new menu items that are, that are popular. Find a way to make it relevant to your concept. Um, as much as I hate things like avocado toast, and I think they don't define a brand, I don't think they need to be on every restaurant menu, you can innovate, right? Avocado toast is how many years ago now? But what's coming up? What are people most worried about? We have the internet. What, what, are Gen Z, what are Gen Z consumers, what are they most concerned about in a restaurant? That's the kind of thing you need to look at because there's nothing more sad than a restaurant owner who hasn't done shit to change their business and complains about their lack of business. Like this is, we're moving forward. You got to adapt your business uh, as per your customer request. This isn't, you're not making a restaurant for you. You're making a restaurant for your guests. Sounds simple. Uh, this one will kill you. Number six, I have experienced this lately and it's, it's upsetting. Inconsistent guest experience. If I come and Jimmy makes the pasta one way and Teddy makes the pasta another way. That's not what I want. 
you got cooks making what they want to make back there. If things like one bartender makes a uh, margarita with a certain triple sec and the other one uses a cheaper one, or like my, my margarita is better, you need to get a hold of that shit. That is a major problem. Because they're not there to make their margarita. They're not there to make their pasta. They're not there to make their whatever. They're there to make what you have told them to make. It's part of the experience. And before anybody who works in a restaurant gets on my case about, oh, open up your own fucking restaurant, do what you want to do. That's, this is not how this works, man. This is not how the world works. If you work in a restaurant, you're listening to this, and you're going to be, oh, well, mine is better, then open up your own restaurant. Have the respect of the person who's paying the bills and who's put the money up to actually trust that the recipes that they have and the procedures and the whatever's that they put in place are what they want and what they think is best. If you don't like it, you can go work in another restaurant. You can open your own place. But you need to respect the fact that this is what they want. I hear you. I have, dude, I have, there's another one, dude. I have been in those shoes. I would do it. I would make some things, but then like, yeah, you know what? That's not the right thing to do. How do, how do you want me to make that? But that's just not me. I knew I couldn't do that forever. I knew I could not make somebody else's things forever, so I opened up my own place very young and made all these mistakes and have a podcast, which is why I'm here right now. Um, but ultimately, that comes down to guests wanting to come back or not. They're just going to not want to come back. if what They go back there because I go because I love... The interaction with the bartender, the food, the ambiance, the music. One time I go in, the music is loud and blaring and things I don't recognize. But another time I go in, it's got a good vibe. It's chill. It's, it's exactly what I want. I'm starting to think it's a little schizophrenic and no one's running the ship or inmates running the asylum, whatever they want to say. Not good for restaurants. This one, I know it's hard, but not planning for unexpected events, not planning for things to go sideways maybe once in a while. I live that live that and we had to take a loan like American Express loan which wasn't horrible but didn't want to have to take out I think it was like $70,000 for legal fees and uh, cleanup we had a I'll tell you guys quickly we had a shared grease trap with our next door neighbor who was our landlord and his land his grease trap was overflowing into our basement and we had to sue him Sue him. Sue our landlord because he was insinuating that we made the grease trap that way. We had been open exactly two months. Uh, the grease trap was about six feet tall and six feet wide. He had been there for 25 years. So I'm wondering who, you know, you don't have to be a detective to figure out who actually never cleaned that grease trap. Um, but we weren't prepared for it. And the fact that we couldn't open because we had two inches of water in our basement um, and the stench of it made it so the restaurant wouldn't open. Uh, we were not prepared for that, and it could very easily have put us out of business if we weren't able to leverage the sales from our previous, our other location, to get that loan. So, um, unexpected things happen. Low boys crap out, the ice machine breaks, um, something inexplicably goes up in prices due to a shortage or supply chain issue, um, staff overages and underages, but not planning for these kind of emergencies can definitely um, be a major problem for your restaurant. Number eight, you're ignoring your local community. 
I do not get it. I don't get it. There are so many opportunities these days with churches and schools and organizations to do things like partnerships, uh, social media promotions, um, any of that type of stuff. You are not going to build a loyal customer base by having a influencer with 300,000 followers come into your restaurant. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't work for the big guys. It's not going to work for you on a consistent basis. Your focus is to go narrow and deep on your local community, period. If they're giving you feedback, listen to it. And I get it. You got to take it with a grain of salt. You're not always going to be like, oh, she's always so right. They're my sounding board. I get it. Not going to happen. But you got to take it under consideration. Do not ignore it. You're, you're in the community. They respect you as a business owner. Don't give them a reason not to respect you. Now, I know how it is. They'll all hit you up for gift cards. They'll all hit you up to auction something. They'll all hit you up for some kind of something free to attend this thing and cook something there. You can't do it all. They're not all worth it, but you should listen, be respectful, and um, be a part of the community. Be engaged. Don't be disengaged. Number nine, not understanding the competitive landscape. Going back again to my first restaurant. It was in New York. We were a pizza restaurant, elevated experience. They're kind of everywhere now, but we were ahead of our time in like 2010. And we collectively didn't really question any of the new guys who were working around. Some of them blatantly took some of our stuff off our menu. One restaurant about an hour away on the other side of the river literally took our menu, photocopied it, put their name on top, and were making those dishes, one of our old cooks over there. Competition is everywhere, especially now. You got competition in grocery stores now is a conversation with their prepared meals, their competition for restaurants. But you need to have an in-depth understanding of who your competitors are, your direct and indirect competitors, and where you stand. You cannot strictly compete on price. You cannot strictly compete on quality. You cannot strictly compete on guest experience. You need to figure out who you are, what your concept is all about, and pick and choose your battles, what that looks like. Ultimately, it's like you, you need to understand that these restaurants are out here trying to put you out of business. They want your guests. If that doesn't light a fire under your ass, then you're in the wrong business. Uh, number 10, this is a relatively new conversation. And again, with my restaurant, most recently the Taqueria, we were a little bit better with this, but not managing your online reputation effectively. These days, the best analogy I've heard is if somebody says anything online, right? They say, oh, this is great, or this sucked, or I'm never going back there. Or, uh, you know, I'll give it another shot, but the hostess was, you know, real bitchy. Whatever it is. You need to jump in those conversations and make yourself heard. Now, a lot of you guys, a lot of you guys get defensive in the comments. I could read you some. They're insane. Man, if I, let me see if I have this on my phone. I got to read this to you. Some of the things that I've seen, some of these, let me see. What is it? Google? Is it Google reviews? I got to see here. Um, you know, taking this experience of the guest saying, hey, this wasn't so great. Um, maybe you guys should take a look at it. Oh, man, I'm probably not going to be able to find it. Now. I got the pressure of what, um, what I got to re record here, but. Let's see, reviews. 
Overall 4.6. I got to find some of these overviews. Man, it's not in here. I'll find some. You guys got to look at some of them are funny. Yeah, I think there's a there might even be like a BuzzFeed or an article or something where restaurant was replying and they just get angry. What is that about? Like, hey, thank you so much. Hey, doesn't take doesn't take you guys uh, too long to figure this out. But look, just respond and say, hey, guys, thank you so much. Um, sorry you had that experience. Again, on a negative review. Sorry you had that experience. Certainly not our intent. Um, would love to hear more about exactly what happened here. Next time you come in, please ask for me and I'll, whatever, right? You guys can figure out a way to make the conversation hospitable. You had a guest say they had a bad experience. They have nothing, most of them, they have nothing to gain by putting you down. You can go back and forth on why do they have to take it to online? Why couldn't they just come to me? Whatever the case is, this is just the way things are going. Figure out a way to get a response out there that is hospitable and wins the customer back. And respond to the good reviews too. So glad you guys enjoyed it. Can't wait to see you again, period. But don't ignore it. Bad, bad, bad idea. Awful idea to ignore that stuff. It's, I don't even know, I started saying before, but the analogy of not responding to a guest review is like somebody coming up to you, an online guest review. It's a, equal to somebody coming up to you at a cocktail party, asking you a question or making a statement and you just walking away or not responding. It's seen as very rude. You heard of being left on red? You're leaving people on red and they know it and they're not cool with it. So let's take another break here and we'll be right back. All right, we're back. This is the section we're going to call rapid fire Q&A. So we've got some questions here that I've compiled from um, online DMs, uh, online DMs, from DMs, from TikTok, from Instagram, and we're going to run through them super quick. So first question, how much would you suggest I put into my renovations? Not an easy question. Depends on a lot of different variables, but mainly, as always, it comes down to money. Now the rule of rule of thumb, the rule of thumb, about six to ten percent of your annual revenue. So put that in perspective on renovations. Now you don't have to, right? Renovations mean a lot of different things. So the extent of the renovation is is something that you need to consider. The quality of the materials you're going to use are they going to be top of the line or they're is this just some sort of easy fix? You can do some patchwork and cover it up with some wallpaper or. Who knows what, right? Like we know how to look, make things look like they are better than what they are. Some paint, some different finishes, some artwork makes things look incredible. Who's going to do the work? How much are they going to cost? What are they going to charge you for that type of work? How long are you going to be closed for? Right? A lot of things taken into consideration there. Ultimately, a couple things you need to do. Evaluate the need. Do you really need it or do you want it? Big difference there. Get multiple quotes. Don't go with the first quote that you're given um, and consider what it's really going to return on you. Are you really going to have this, you know, huge turn of, you know, increase in revenue or guests are just going to come flocking in because you redid the floors or is it something you have to do because it's structural? A lot of different stories there, but um, I think what you're, wanna, uh, what you're really going to want to focus on is um, planning it out. Plan it out a year in advance, plan on, hey, next August we're going to close because we have to redo the bathrooms, that type of thing. That will help you um, soften the blow a little bit. All right, 
Next question. What tips would you give employees to provide value to the restaurant? What can I do to make it easier for the owner? Now, man, if you're an owner and you hear that, you're like, oh, my God. only if I only, if I only ever heard that, right? But that's a great question. My suggestion is show up on time, do your job. And once you do your job, ask if there's anything else you can do, right? Because more than likely, it's, hey, thanks. Thanks, uh, Tanya, for asking. Appreciate it. But did you wipe down the menus? Did you make sure we have enough um, to-go bags? Whatever it is. Make sure you have done what you want to do and then, or what you have to do, rather. Then go and ask, hey, is there anything else I can do? Is there anything else I can do? Also helpful, tell them that, like, hey, I'm a hostess now, but I really want to be a bartender. Is anywhere I can just come in and watch or can I – pull a shift as a bar back one night. Um, those kind of conversations will ultimately lead to more opportunities more than likely. Um, but my suggestion is show up on time, do your job, and then ask for um, additional work. Um, here's a good one. Get get these all the time. Get this all the time. And it's a um, classic question. Should I buy or lease a restaurant? Again, not an easy answer. Not a universal answer for anybody, but depends. I think if you have a concept, and actually, just during the break right there, I got an email from one of my clients to help uh, him evaluate a property that he's going to buy uh, or think about buying, but they have 35 units, right? So they can have these some stability there, right? So they're they're gonna they're gonna probably be okay for a while, at least they think so. It would make sense for them to own it. It's a little bit of insurance policy if things go sideways, which is the way a lot of you guys look at it. But also think of it this way. If your restaurant concept doesn't work out and you have to lease to another restaurant, now you're a landlord. Is it a great location? You're going to have trouble leasing it as a restaurant? Are you going to have trouble leasing it as something else if restaurants don't want it? So a lot of things going into being a landlord. We can do that on a different show, but um, comes down to numbers, comes down to flexibility. A lot more flexibility with the lease, although sometimes it doesn't seem that way. And if you own the wrong property, um, it could be a headache long-term. Now, if you own the right property, it could be a home run for you. That's proven time and time again, easily. But um, you have to evaluate it. A lot of it's based on your own financial wherewithal, what you're willing to tolerate, what your concept is about, but um, really is not a universal answer. Last question. When you first opened your restaurant, what mistakes did you make and what would you do differently knowing what you know now, uh, I'm going to use this sound for that. Um, yeah, um, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> I don't even know if I've done that, but I'll tell you right now, the mistakes I made right off the bat, um, getting into business with the wrong partners, nice guys. Buckin would love to like reconnect with them on a personal friendship thing. Not sure I could ever put the restaurant stuff behind me, but had a, some of the best times in my professional career hanging out with these two guys. But didn't do my homework on their background and didn't nail down exactly what they would be doing in the business versus what I would be doing. And it caused a lot of problems. So not knowing, not going into business with the right partners was number one. Number two I would have to say being undercapitalized. 
we were completely undercapitalized. I remember we opened up the first day, there was $600 in our bank account. Like the dishwasher, anybody in the restaurant, anybody on the street had more money in their bank accounts than we had in our business. Um, we went in completely blind. Thank God. Thank whoever. Thank the universe that we were busy. Um, but as I've said multiple times in this show again, you cannot rely on that income, um, especially in your first couple of years to, to cover you. So uh, partnership, being bad partners and undercapitalized, I would say for sure. Um, that's it. Hope you guys enjoyed longer episode, longer solo episode. Hopefully, and we'll see what the analytics look like on this one, but hopefully you guys got some value from it. Uh, I had fun with this, these little, you know, amazing, right? New little wrinkle to the show. I don't know if it's corny, if it's whatever you guys let me know in the comments. Also, um, remember, we love reviews. Absolutely love reviews. So if you could leave us a review, share the episode with a friend, um, give us some feedback, submit your Q&A questions again, whether, again, you could do that on TikTok, you could do it on Instagram, you could email me, whatever it is, hit me up, let me know. Would love to hear from you guys. And um, I'll uh, check you guys out next week. Thanks.